Now, I imagine right now that some of you are thinking, really, you're going to preach on this? I've heard this a thousand times. In fact, I have verse 33 memorized. Well, begging your pardon, it's going to be a thousand and one. But before you think about tuning out, because I've heard this before, I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. Number one, do I really know what it means to seek his kingdom? And two, do I regularly practice this? And if you answered no to either one of these, then I suggest that you enthusiastically tune in to what we're going to hear this morning. Now, our key verse here is verse 33. It's, it's a summation or a conclusion of what is being taught. Actually, if you went all the way back to verse 19 and through, it's summarizing that whole concept. And we're given the instruction to seek the kingdom of God first. Now, the word first in Greek is the word protos, and it literally means foremost. But in this context, you would say it's referring to an order in time, in time and priority. It's what we're going to do before we go on to the next thing. So a a real short summary of the passage, paraphrasing it might be this. God takes care of all his creation including the animal and plant kingdoms. So he will certainly take care of the needs of his children. So before you go off spending all your time worrying about the needs of your daily life, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Simple enough? Okay, we're done. God bless you guys. Oh, no, sorry, not true. You know, most of us could probably quote verse 633, and especially if you were around years ago when the, when the chorus of Seek ye first the kingdom of God uh, was around. Um, but I wonder if you've ever taken the time to really reflect on what the kingdom of God really means. In our staff devotions this week, we were doing Psalm 1, and we were talking about meditating on the law of the Lord day and night, reflecting upon it. And oftentimes I think we hear things and we don't spend time really thinking through them. Uh, And I know that you guys in, in this building right here want to really think through and understand what the Word of God truly means. And so... This morning, um, I'm going to just say if we have never done that, then this is the morning to do it. Because if we don't really know what the kingdom of God, what that phrase really means, then how could we really seek it first? Now, when I was a young Christian, before I really studied the word a lot, I, I read that and I thought, well, that's referring to salvation. If I just seek first his kingdom, if I receive Christ into my life, then everything I need is going to be added to me. And you know what? That's actually true. But I think there's more to the passage than that. And I'm guessing that some of you think, well, this just means that we should pray first about everything. And that's true as well. But I think there's more to it than that. And since Pastor Michael has been teaching through the book of 2 Samuel, we're using the kingdom of God as our theme. And so as uh, I knew that Pastor Michael would be going up to the men's retreat, and I thought, okay, Lord, um, what do you want to teach on this morning? Well, if we're going to be going through 2 Samuel with the kingdom of God being our uh, theme, then we really should do our very best to understand what this means. Now, if you think that you already have the answer 
I already know what this is all about, then you are amazing. Because to be honest with you, for the last 2,000 years, some of the great scholars and theologians have wrestled and disagreed on just exactly what Jesus was referring to when he used this term. Do you know that this expression is found over 60 times in the Synoptic Gospels? Over 60 times. It's synonymous with the kingdom of heaven or Christ's kingdom, but over 60 times in those three Gospels and a couple more in the Gospel of John. So it's a very important concept, is it not? Since Jesus spoke about it so much. In the Old Testament, we don't really see this term used, the kingdom of God, in this, in this way. But instead, uh, we see the mention of the throne of David. And of course, in 2 Samuel, we've already talked about the throne of David. 1 Kings 2.45 says this, But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. And then in Isaiah 9, it says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we see this reference to an everlasting Throne, the throne of David, or the kingdom rule of David being everlasting. And this is confirmed in the New Testament. If you would turn real quickly over to Mark uh, chapter 11. Mark 11. And I want you to see here how this is confirmed in the New Testament. Mark 11, 9 and 10. You're probably pretty familiar with this particular passage. It says, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What day is this, by the way? Palm Sunday. And then verse 10, blessed is the coming kingdom of who? Our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So you'll see that it's confirmed in the New Testament that the throne of David is going to be one that lasts forever. So that puts this kingdom, this idea of the kingdom, in a category of future fulfillment, since we know that there's no rule like that that we see in our world presently, correct? So it's future. In a similar way, many of the New Testament passages about the kingdom of God speak of future events and I want to go through a few of them with you. Matthew 21, 31. It says, Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. This is according to a parable that Jesus was speaking. And he says, Then truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you, which indicates its future. Mark 9, 47. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. Meaning that there's a future time that's going to, you're going to be entering the kingdom of God. And then Galatians 5, 21. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit 
the kingdom of God. When we think of an inheritance, we think of something that's going to happen in the future. So there are many theologians who take the view that the kingdom of God refers only to a time in the future when Jesus is reigning. When he rules eternally from the throne of David as the rightful heir to that throne. But there are other scholars who would point out that there are verses which indicate that the kingdom of God was present when Jesus was here on earth. Hang on. There we go. If we look at Matthew 12, 28, it says, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That would refer to a present situation. Mark 14, 25 says this, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Um, that was supposed to actually go back in the future one. Sorry about that. Uh, Mark 1, 15. The time is fulfilled and is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So again, referring to the present when Jesus was there, the time is at hand. Okay, I think we clipped this a little too tight here, so hang on one second. There we go. <laughs> then Mark 9, 1, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Again, that was supposed to go in the future. So we see two categories here. We see the kingdom of God as something to be looked forward to, something that's going to be in the future, and something that was present at the time that Jesus was on earth. So we have scholars that take what's called the future view and scholars that take the present view. Now we still have another view that scholars take, and we want to take a look at that. And this is based on Luke 17:21. Luke 17:21 says, "Nor will they say, "See here or see there." For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. So these scholars look at these, this verse and they say, well, you see, this is all a metaphor. All the kingdom of God is just a metaphor for the rule of God in one person's life. And so they would just look at it as a metaphor and the entire idea of the kingdom of God, not necessarily being past, uh, present, or future, but just in each person's heart. Interesting, though, the ESV and the New American Standard, and you might have noticed that if you have either one of those, translates instead of the kingdom of God within you, it says the kingdom of God is in your midst. And a lot of the present view scholars would take that and say, see, that's a present view scripture there because Jesus was already in their midst. Uh, both translations, by the way, are grammatically correct. So it's one of those passages that you could translate it either way and be very correct. So we have these three views. And we have to look at it and say, all right, which one of these views would I say is the correct view? And if you were to ask me, well, which of these views is correct? My answer to you would be all of the above. Didn't you used to love it when you had those questions on your test and had one, two, and three and had all of the, all of the above? 
You know, you're like, oh, okay, I know. I know it's, there's more than one here, so I can get this one. Because if there's more than one, then it can't just be one, so I get to mark all of the above, and I know I'm correct. Well, I believe if you look closely at these passages, if you were to be honest with what the Scripture teaches, you would say, it's all of the above. Why would we say that? It's not a cop-out. It's because the Bible teaches all three things. Didn't you notice as you were looking through those? And didn't you say, well, yeah, there's a future view here. And didn't you look at it and go, well, that's true. Christ was present. And some of those were concerning what was going on when he was present. And certainly, certainly we can all say that there must be a view where the kingdom of God rules in our hearts. Now, I don't think it's that hard to, to really understand it this way. Let's remember that the Jewish people at the time of Jesus' appearing were already looking for the kingdom of God. Luke 19, 11 says this. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So they were looking at the time for the kingdom of God. In Mark 15, 43, remember Joseph of Arimathea, it says a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So we know that the common people were looking for the kingdom of God, but so were the leaders of Israel. They were looking for the coming of the kingdom of God. But we have to remember this, that the kingdom they were looking for was different. The kingdom they were looking for was a worldly kingdom. It was a political kingdom and a religious kingdom. It was a kingdom that would be led by the promised Messiah and would be immediately set up on earth when he appeared. And it's because the leaders of Israel were looking for that kingdom that they were so concerned when they saw Jesus appear on the earth. Remember, the Pharisees had great power in Israel at the time, second only to Rome itself. And you think about it, this is what the Pharisees and the Romans were fearing about Jesus. They were fearing that he was going to bring this worldly political kingdom onto the earth at that time, and that is why they wanted him dead. Remember James and John? Remember what they asked Jesus? Remember they came to him with mom? You know, had to bring mom along for moral support. And they said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit on your right and sit on your left? Meaning, we want to sit in places of power. I guarantee you they weren't thinking about some far-off event in the future. They were thinking Jesus was going to set up the kingdom and they were going to rule in power with him. Well, as we know, that didn't really happen. So how could it be possible that in any references of the kingdom of the God would have a present meaning when Jesus gave them? Okay, you have to put your thinking caps on and think through this with me. <clears throat> Remember when Jesus was in the presence of Pilate and Pilate asked him a question. He said, are you a king? And do you remember what his answer was? He didn't say, no, I am not a king. He said, my kingdom is what? Not of this world. And yet, 
Jesus did myriads of signs and wonders which attested to his kingly rule over all of creation. So what's going on here? Well, you need to kind of think of it this way. In ancient times when kings traveled, uh, just as many politicians as they travel today, when kings traveled, they had very large entourages. You know, they were, well, I would say more like a celebrity today, you know. Wherever they go, they have these groups and groups and groups of people, large groups of people. And so when a king traveled, even when he wasn't in his own country, wherever the king went, for those people that were under his rule, subjects of his kingdom, that was the kingdom. Now, that might seem a little bit strange to you, but I, I want to give you an illustration of, of how that works. When you think of Air Force One, what do you think of? You think of that beautiful plane painted up all nicely, right? With all that high technology that's in there so the president can do his job flying anywhere in the world, right? That's what we think of. That's Air Force One, right? Wrong. <laughs> it's only Air Force One when the president walks aboard that plane. Did you know that? And whatever plane the president walks into, whether it be a little tiny Cessna or whether it be, and this would be my preference, an F-22. Um, when the president comes on board, that becomes Air Force One. And in that same way, wherever the king sets his foot, that's the kingdom. And the king's subjects were to honor and obey the king wherever he was when they were in his presence. So in that sense, wherever Jesus walked when he was on this earth was the kingdom of God. Now, what about the idea of the kingdom of God being within us? Well, we can argue back and forth about whether the translation is correct or not. But I think there's certainly a sense in which we can say that it is true. I'm going to pull this thing off if I can there. Thank you. I think I got it. You got it? Okay. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Thank you. Turn my head all the way to the right. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Okay. So look, whether, it's, whether that translation is correct or not, we all know that there's a sense in which it's true that we want the rule of God in our life. When we're born again, we're told that the Holy Spirit seals us for redemption. And we're also told that he dwells within us. 2 Corinthians says this. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. It says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So we see then that the Holy Spirit, who's the third person of the triune God, the Bible teaches us that he dwells within us. So if God is dwelling within us, then obviously the kingdom of God is dwelling within us as well. And I actually believe that that's a real central part of what Jesus was trying to teach in this particular passage. 
But there's also no doubt that we look forward to a future version of the kingdom of God. Revelation 11:15 says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So I see no problem at all in viewing the kingdom of God as something which was past, which is present now, which is future and dwelling within our hearts as well. See, sometimes we look at that, we can't really comprehend that. But you can't really comprehend the triune nature of God either, can you? And you can't really comprehend the fact that God is sovereign and has chosen us before the foundation of the world, but we have free will as well. These are things that we can ponder and reflect on, but that we may never come up with the answer in a way that we can totally understand it. And I find it really interesting that when Jesus spoke of the kingdom, when he was here on earth and he was speaking to the disciples and he was explaining his parables to them, but to others he didn't explain the parables. He just spoke them. When he spoke of the kingdom, he never tried to explain it. He just said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. The kingdom of heaven is like. He continued to say those things over and over. Okay, so are you thoroughly confused at this point? Good, because that's what I wanted to do. I accomplished my purpose. But seriously, I, I think it's really important that we understand as much as possible in our little finite minds this concept of the kingdom of God in all of its aspects. If we desire to obey Jesus, if we want to seek the kingdom of God first and fully, then rather than getting caught up in the worries of today, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear... Um, we need to understand that we're to seek this kingdom first. And we need to realize that we don't have really any effect on the past aspect of the kingdom of God. But our decisions, our actions, have an impact on the present and future kingdom of God. Let that sit in for a minute. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. How is that? Well, because God in his sovereignty has designed it that way. He chose to use you and I in fulfilling his plans for the kingdom. Isn't that an amazing thing? He allows us to participate. So I think if we really wanted to look at what it means to seek first the kingdom of God understanding what the kingdom of God is, I, I would kind of put it this way. We should live our lives in such a way that places the priorities of the kingdom of God above our personal needs and earthly desires. And it means that we measure everything that occurs in life by how it fits into God's eternal plan. It means that we filter everything that happens in our lives through the lens of God's sovereignty and I want you to think about God's sovereignty because in God's sovereignty in this present world, he allows the free will of man. And that free will has been affected by sin and the curse and the fall. And so we shouldn't be taken by surprise when we face the trials and tribulations of the world that we, we face today. Jesus told us we would have them. And we shouldn't be surprised when we're faced with difficult 
decisions. And those difficult decisions often tempt us to put our own desires ahead of the priorities of the kingdom of God. Now, and I say this to you, you know, is it an easy thing to do? No, it's not an easy thing to do at all. But I think we can be encouraged by two absolute bedrock truths contained in the word of God. Number one, the king himself is here, he is alive, and he is present in our lives. Amen. And that king tells us in his word that he loves us, that he cares about every detail of our lives, and that he's available to us every day, every hour, every minute. That's truth number one. Truth number two, the trials and tribulations that we face today are only temporary. Because we know in the future kingdom, it's going to be a perfect kingdom. It's going to be one where there's no sin, there's no sorrow, there's no pain, and there's no tears. And so we can look forward to that future kingdom and be able to deal with the things that we have to deal with in our present life. Okay, let's get practical here. How do we practice this in our daily lives? How do we make this fit into what you and I are going to deal with today and tomorrow and the day after? And I think, first of all, we have to know, well, what are the expectations of the kingdom? If we're going to seek first the kingdom, we got to know what's the rules here? What are we looking for? And we can only know that by study of his word. And this church here is a tremendous church for people who are interested in studying the word of God. But that means not only when we're here together on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, it means every single day of your life. You're going to need to study if you're going to know what the expectations of the kingdom of God are. And then when we're faced with making those decisions in the circumstances, we're going to ask God for his help and to make decisions that are consistent with his kingdom. And remember, what kind of kingdom is it? It's a righteous kingdom. So we're going to have to make decisions that are in accordance with his righteousness. And the Bible is full of practical ways to do that. There's so much instruction in the Bible. Um, it's amazing. But I want you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to just take one very practical example. One practical example of how the Word of God gives us instruction on how to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So it's 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 1. It says this, Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? That's in that future kingdom, by the way. If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the matters of this life? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there are not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren. Wow. But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. 
Actually, then it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not, Paul says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? You see, Paul's giving us an example here, a good example of those who were looking to fill their personal needs above the kingdom of God. And their witness for the Lord was really being destroyed because they were taking each other to court over matters that would concern just them. And they would go to court before unbelievers. So their witness was like, you guys are supposed to love one another and you can't even settle this matter. If they were seeking first the kingdom of God, they would have known that even if you were wronged, God would still meet your needs as he promised back in Matthew 6. Now, some of you are even thinking probably right now, well, that's crazy. I'm not going to let someone defraud me just because I'm a Christian. Well, that's, that's your choice. That's your prerogative. But have you ever thought that God might have a way of defending you and taking care of you that's consistent with his kingdom and his righteousness rather than just doing things the world's way? Now, I'm going to share with you that I, I'm not saying this as a pastor up here just teaching the word of God. I've lived this experience personally in my life. I had a very good Christian friend, um, someone who I knew for many years, even before my wife and I were married. And um, I don't want to get into too much of the details, but I will just say this. She defrauded us out of a very, very significant amount of money. One, which was a sacrifice for us um, to give for the purpose that we were asked to give it for, to borrow it for. And we found out later that that was a lie. It was false. Um, the money was used for something completely different. And the money was gone. And this was a person who I always looked to as a godly Christian person. And so, you know, we could have done a couple of things. We could have gone to civil court. We could have really um, exposed this in the press. It would have really hurt this person because they had some very significant responsibilities. Um, and we prayed together. And we said, God, we want to do this seeking your kingdom first. We want to do this your way. And the instruction in 1 Corinthians here is pretty clear, is it not? So we were not going to take this Christian sister to court. And we decided, Lord, we're going to give this whole situation over to you and we're going to just leave it in your hands, and we're going to pray for that person. And we did that because we take the Bible very seriously. And when the Bible instructs us on something, we want to do our very best to follow what the Bible teaches us to do. And more than that, we didn't want the name of Christ slandered by people around her, people around us, or people in a courtroom that two Christians can't even solve this problem. So I'll be honest, we left it with the Lord and we were at total peace, even though losing that amount of money was a strain and a stretch on us in terms of our finances. But I want to tell you that we had a perfect peace about what we did. And down the road a little bit, um, we saw the Lord took care of all of our needs that were our present needs at the time. And down the road, the Lord restored every single penny of what was taken, and we never, ever asked for it. 
And I'm not saying that to toot my horn or my wife and I our horn at all. I'm saying that because God is a God who keeps his promises. All his promises are yes and amen. And I don't always practice this principle. I don't always do it the way God wants me to. And I don't always seek the kingdom of God first. But I want to tell you that when you do, you can be assured that God will keep his promises and he will fulfill what he taught us here in the book of Matthew and he will take care of your needs. Now, he won't always give you what you want, but he will take care of your needs. He has never failed and he never will. And here's the neat thing. The more that you practice this principle, the more you watch him come through. And the more you see him come through, the greater desire you have to practice this principle the next time this happens. And your faith just grows and it grows. And so I would say to us this morning, if you have something that you're anxious about this morning, I know that many of you have deep personal needs just as I have deep personal needs right now. I have things that I'm asking the Lord for. But will you take him at his word? And when you're facing a situation and a decision, will you seek first his kingdom, his righteous kingdom? Will you ask him to do the work in your life that he wants to do that's in accordance with the principles of his kingdom and his righteousness? And will you do this? Will you stop worrying about the cares and the needs of your daily life? God has promised he will take care of me. Now, I, I want to make this clear. This is, this is not at all to say that you don't need to go to work, <laughs> that you need to just sit around and go, okay, God, take care of me. You know, when I was a young Christian, I kind of thought that way. I thought that was, man, I thought it was pretty cool. Well, if I just go out every single day and hand out tracts every day, I will get money and God will take care of me. You know what? That's probably true. But that's not what God called me to do. God has called some people to do that. But he's called most of us to work and take care of our own needs. And that's how he provides for us. He provides a job and an ability to work. And for some of you that can't, he provides in other ways. So we don't want to ignore the practical things of life. We want to do our best. The Bible tells us that we should plan for our futures. The, the book of Proverbs, which is the one I ignored for the first 20 years of my Christian life, because I didn't want all that wisdom. I just wanted to be out on faith. There is plenty of wisdom in that book. And that book is God's word as well as what we just read today. So don't take it that way. But you know, I think the events of the past couple of weeks should teach us something. When we see tremendous earthquakes, devastating. When we see hurricanes this year, devastating all over. You know, all the things that we spend all of our time worrying about can be taken away in a moment. In a moment. And if we put our trust in those things, what are we going to do? How are we going to stand in those particular moments? So I would stay, say instead... Put your trust in Jesus, your king, who rules in an everlasting kingdom. And know this, everything else in this world can be taken away, but your place in the kingdom of God can never be taken away. It can never be taken away. So this morning, if you're here and maybe you're listening to this and you go, well, I'm not sure I have a place in the kingdom of God. Remember that 
one of the great leaders of Israel came to Jesus. And uh, Jesus told this, this leader, you must be born again. You must be born again. If you are not born again, you will not even see the kingdom of God. Now, whether that meant to see it in some visual sense, I don't believe that's what it says, really. What it really means is you will not enter that future kingdom. You will not enter into the kingdom now to where I can work in your heart unless you're born again. And so if you're here this morning and you have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Savior, have not repented from your sin, this morning is the day for you to do that. This morning is a day for you to become a part of the kingdom of God and that have that place in the kingdom that can never be taken away. So if that's you this morning, uh, as we pray this morning, I'm going to pray for you. And I would ask that you would seriously consider this morning seeing your place in that kingdom. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the time of worship that we're able, in a sense, to even enter in deeper into your kingdom. And Lord, for the time in your word where you teach us what your kingdom is all about. And this morning, I want to pray for anyone here, Lord, that has not made that decision. And Lord, I would just ask that they would seriously consider right now finding that place in the kingdom of God by receiving you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, for others here that are facing difficult times this morning, I pray for them. I pray, God, that you would fill them with your peace that they would not worry about the things of this life, but they would seek first your kingdom. They would seek um, finding the answer in the ways that you would want them to, that it would be in the ways of righteousness, Lord. And Lord, that you would provide as you have promised, however you choose to do that, Lord. And I thank you, God, that this morning we can leave this building full of the assurance that we are eternally members of your kingdom. And God, I also pray that you would teach us more and more to bow down to the king, to bow our knee before you. That Lord, wherever we go, it is your kingdom because we have received you as our Lord and Savior. So we just thank you, God, for all that you are doing this morning, what you will continue to do as we look forward, Lord, to being obedient to you and into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.